Hey guys, welcome to Not At Dinner, the podcast where we talk about politics, religion, and everything else you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. I'm Link, your host for this podcast, and today we're going to talk about feminism, but not all of it. I have been having kind of a hard time creating this episode, and the reason for that is twofold. First, a lot of us already know most of this story because we've lived in the world. And while they're important conversations, I don't want to be rehashing the same stuff over and over again. And secondly, the concept of feminism or the politics of being a woman in the world, they're like an onion. There's many, many layers, and it's impossible to peel all those layers away in a reasonably length podcast episode that people will listen to and not stop because it's 10 hours long. So in this episode, I want to talk specifically about the concept of benevolent sexism. So what is benevolent sexism? Benevolent sexism comes from the theory of ambivalent sexism, which says that there are two kind of like parts, so to speak, of sexism. The first of the two kind of parts or components of sexism is hostile sexism. This is something we all know a lot about. It's part of the conversation around street harassment, a lot of negative comments coming from politicians recently, um, the entire Me Too movement comes from hostile sexism. It's clear, you can see it, it's horrible, it's mean. Benevolent sexism is the idea that women are blank. Specific nouns that, or adjectives, that are positive, but when applied as a blanket across all women, and when applied in a way that restricts a woman's career movement or life in the world, they become negative. An example is all women are nurturing and have a natural instinct towards motherhood. That's not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing to be nurturing. It's not a negative thing to be drawn to motherhood. Um, but when you put it in the context of someone's career, you're going to have bosses or executives saying, well, I don't want to hire or promote this particular woman because even if she's unmarried, even if she doesn't have kids, eventually she's going to want those things and she's going to leave. And that's not necessarily true of all women, right? Not all women want to have kids. And also, side note, when women do have kids, 
they're still capable of having successful careers in the same way that men who have kids have successful careers. So that's one example. Another example is the concept of chivalry. Chivalry is not inherently a negative thing. It's, it's polite. It's holding doors open and walking women home at night and these sorts of things. Some women like it when their dates or their partners do those things for them. That's great. I'm not talking about specific relationships where a specific person has said this is something that they want. I'm talking about a general concept of women, which is if we treat women like they need protecting, then women aren't going to be able to hold positions of power because we're always going to view them as less powerful because they need protecting from the more powerful people who, in this example, are men. So this type of sexism kind of gets a pass. And I think in some instances, it's not negative. Like in the example of a couple in a relationship, if that woman has said she really likes it when her boyfriend or her husband opens the door for her and stuff like that, great, right? That's not negative. That's very respectful. That's the man doing the thing that the woman has asked him to do. Great. But to assume that that's what all women want or that's what all women need, that's where we start to get into trouble. An example of this is a recent comment made by a senator, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. Um, If you've been following the news, you remember him. He's also the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who uh, that committee did the whole hearing for Brett Kavanaugh. So that's why that name might sound familiar to you. Um, He's a senator from Iowa, and he was asked recently by someone from the Wall Street Journal why it is that he thinks there aren't very many women on the Judiciary Committee. Um, in the case of the Republican side of that committee, there's only men. And he's, he is a Republican senator, so they were saying, like, they were just asking, like, why do you think this is the case? And his response was, and this is a direct quote, it's a lot of work. Maybe they don't want to do it. So what does that have to do with anything? What he's not saying that you can kind of hear in the underlying tone is maybe women can't handle the work and maybe women have too much going on outside of work, like caring for their children and taking care of the house to be able to be on the committee. If it's a lot of work, well, there's plenty of men that are willing to do it. So where's the, where's the separation? What's going on? And that's a really good example of benevolent sexism where Chuck Grassley in that instance wasn't intending to say anything negative about women. You know, he wasn't saying, he wasn't, for one example, calling someone a horse face, but he was kind of implying something about what women are capable of. And that's a big problem. Studies have shown Um, There was a study done specifically at Yale where 
two identical resumes, 100% identical, word for word, were submitted to a job application. The name on one was John, and the name on another was Jennifer. The, uh, the resume whose name was John was able to move forward. The resume whose name was Jennifer was not. Identical resumes. Because of an unconscious bias that we have around what women are capable of, what women really want, that's holding women back in a way that's subconscious. There are bad people in the world who are sitting in their positions of power saying they don't want to hire women. That's a massive, massive problem. But it's also a problem that people who say that they're trying to hire women aren't really doing the things that would get them in a position to be able to hire women. Another level of this benevolent sexism is women are held to a higher standard when going for jobs than men are. And this is um, also kind of a layered concept because women of color then are held to an even higher standard. Um, You have to work twice as hard for half as much, as they say. And if you look at the current state of the campaigning for the midterms, you can see it really clearly. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is running for, I believe, Senate. Uh, She wants to be a senator for New York. She's from the Bronx. She's 28 years old, and if she were to win, she would be the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. So that's amazing. She has an equal resume to other men her age in Congress. Now, of course, men and even women who are 40 or 50 or older are going to have more on their resume than someone who's 28 because they've had more time to create the resume. But comparing um, similarly aged men, her resume is the same. It's, there's no issue with qualification. Nevertheless, she's constantly being told by men that she needs to drop out of the race, she needs to go back to school, she needs to learn more. Every time she makes a gaffe, which is the most common thing in politics when you're running a campaign, um, people say, well, that's proof. It's proof that she doesn't really know what she's talking about. But if you look at someone like Paul Ryan, he said all sorts of stuff that maybe he misspoke, maybe he deliberately misled folks that he was speaking to because he was running for office. This is something politicians do. People aren't telling Paul Ryan he needs to go back to school. It's common also for Ocasio-Cortez to be introduced if she's like going to be speaking as enthusiastic, young, attractive, um, rather than being introduced as a graduate of Boston University with a degree in economics. I can't think of a time Paul Ryan has ever been introduced as a young, attractive man. I think that would be weird. We would feel weird about that. Um, And we should feel weird about that when when it happens to women. Regardless of how you feel about her politics, by the way. Her politics are pretty liberal. She has some opinions that probably 
not everyone agrees with, but whether or not she gets elected should be about whether or not you agree with her policies, agree with what she wants to do, not whether or not you think she's too dumb, um, because she's not. If you took the time to really dig in and really get to know a lot about her education, you would see. Um, It's interesting that we place women in this position where we expect them to only say whatever it is that we want them to say, and only in the kind of polite and easy to listen to way that we expect them to say it. Taylor Swift recently made a political Instagram post. Taylor Swift has been pretty famously apolitical. Folks on all sides have commented on the fact that she won't share her opinion, and she finally did. The thing about Taylor Swift also is you might not like her music, and that's fine, but she's brilliant. Nobody could build the kind of empire that she's built without an unbelievable amount of knowledge around running a business. That's effectively what she's doing. She's got millions of followers, millions of listeners, millions of dollars, and so she made a political opinion. She used her platform to say what she wanted to say about voting. It is the case that I'm sure she had a team helping her write that post. I don't think that's controversial or scandalous. Um, Everybody does that. You know, you want to have it fact-checked. You want to have it grammar-checked. That's common, so that's really not a scandal that she probably had a team helping her. Um, But of all the ways to disagree with Taylor Swift's opinion that she posted, she said not to vote for one candidate and to vote for another one. So that could make a lot of people angry. Out of everything people were upset by, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee felt that the thing he wanted to tweet about was that Taylor Swift's political opinion doesn't matter because the only people reading her political opinions are 13-year-old girls, which is problematic on a lot of levels. First of all, it undercuts Taylor Swift's unbelievable success. She has listeners and Instagram followers uh, from all walks of life, right? That's, of course she does. You don't sell out stadiums across the world if you're only appealing to one group of people. And second, what's wrong with 13-year-old girls having political opinions? In fact, 13-year-old girls could be having conversations with their parents and could be swaying their parents' vote. Maybe a 13-year-old girl saw this Instagram post and showed it to her her parent. So those are the types of underlying sexism that really need to be addressed because we need to be able to recognize that even when a woman is engaging in something frivolous or frivolous-seeming, that doesn't mean she can't also be intelligent. So yeah, Taylor Swift trades in pop music. Uh, Musicians might feel that her musicianship isn't up to par. I'm not a musician, so I'm not going to comment on her quality of music, but it's possible that, you know, folks who are musicians feel like her music is not great, or people just don't like it. But that doesn't mean she's not unbelievably talented at business. And that's where we need to start making a shift. We have to start talking about women like they are capable 
intelligent human beings that can do all different things and that all women are individual human beings. So there's no one, this is what women are like. There might be a common thread through womanhood that lots of women have a particular personality trait or a particular interest, but there's no point in putting a blanket statement over all women when you can just get to know an individual woman. So we're going to take a break here and we'll come back and talk about how this translates into our regular office jobs and what we can do to change it. If you're interested in reading more about the concept of being a woman in the world, Men Explain Things to Me is a book I've been reading and it's so good. I can't sing its praises enough. Um, You can check that out on the website, notatdinnerpodcast.com. You can also still register to vote there if your deadline has not passed for your state. And on the website, notatdinnerpodcast.com, there's a video of a woman who performed a song on her Facebook about called Scary Time about all the things women can't do and why it's not really a scary time for boys at all. Jimmy Kimmel actually ended up having her on his show and they turned that song into something that included a lot of women. It was really, really cool. I've added that video to the website as well, so you can check that out. That is a super cool video to watch. talking about benevolent sexism and how that permeates all sorts of parts of our lives. I definitely want to talk about how this shows up in our workplaces and what we can do about it. A quick note, benevolent sexism also impacts men. So this isn't an an episode about how men are awful. Um, it's just an episode about things we need to change. Um, benevolent sexism can impact men insofar as these traits that we apply to women, we don't allow men to have. So in the example of being nurturing or um, being drawn to motherhood, we don't view a nurturing father as super duper masculine we should but it's the case that sometimes men will get made fun of by other men if they're carrying their babies in one of those carry slings or you know if they're being too nurturing or too loving to their children and that's not good that's not healthy for men or for their children so this is something that as we grow and change as a society, will improve the lives of people of all genders. But in the workplace, this is where women being able to advance their career is really important and finding ways to compensate and reduce benevolent sexism in the workplace 
is really important. Um, one of one example is that we will say, "Oh, women are really great at communication. They're really great at understanding people. They're more empathetic." So we'll put them in more front-end roles or customer-facing roles. It's not necessarily that women are inherently more empathetic. It's that women are raised to know that's an expectation and men are not. Men are equally capable of learning to be empathetic as women are. We just have to ask that of them. And similarly, women are capable of doing jobs that are more, uh, less customer-facing or more monotonous, like coding, just sitting there typing code. That's something women are capable of. Um, women don't want to work as long of hours, so we might try to let or even encourage women to go home earlier so they can take care of their families and things of that nature, but the folks that put in the long hours that stay late, they might be the ones that are getting promoted. They're the ones that are showing that they're really going to show up, especially, especially pregnant women. When a woman is pregnant, she is treated differently. That's not always bad, but in the workplace, we should assume that a woman pregnant or not, but especially a pregnant woman, has talked with her doctor and talked with her partner and made a decision that's right for her family and for her health. So if she's choosing to work or work later hours or take more or less maternity leave, that's something that she's allowed to do. And so if a woman is pregnant and she's at work, and you're telling her, like, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of that project for you, or I'll do this or that other thing for you, that's nice. And so that's why it doesn't feel like you're doing anything wrong, because you're not really doing anything, like, wrong wrong, because you're, you're being compassionate and you're caring for another human, but you're also taking away from something she could be putting on her resume, a project that could help her advance her career when she's the one that should be able to make the decision about what makes the most sense for her and for her health and for her family. So if she thinks she can take on that extra project, if she feels that she can work the later hours, if she wants to work all the way up until the moment she goes into labor and then come back to work two days after she's given birth, good for her. Um, that's up to her. And it doesn't make her a better or a worse mom or a better or a worse person for whatever decision that she's making. So when you think about, okay, what can I do? How can I be better? How can I change? Well, we can't change the world. Maybe we can, I don't know. In the trailer for this podcast, I said that this podcast doesn't endeavor to change everything. But if each of us just make a small change, maybe we can impact one person's life and that's cool. So just think about these things the next time that you're at work or the next time that you're in a position of being able to make these decisions that might impact women. Even something as simple as just paying attention a little bit to the way that you are treating 
or speaking to or speaking about the women in your life will make a huge difference because you will start to notice the little things that you can change. This does not mean that you should not offer to carry that 50-pound box for a woman who's nine months pregnant, right? I'm not saying that we all need to put basic human decency aside, but it is the case that we need to make these decisions in a way that make a little bit more sense. And if you do offer to help someone and they say, no, I can do it, then you step back because they said that they can do it. And that's up to them. Um, so if you are in a position of hiring or promoting anybody, or even if you just have a coworker, um, you can speak up and you can sort of help to adjust expectations. You can also speak up to men, especially if you are a man. Uh, just saying to another man, like, hey, no, she can do that. Or um, if a woman says an idea in a meeting and then someone else claims that idea is their own, this is very common, you can say, hey, no, that was her idea. I actually heard her say that first. Um, those little things will go a long way. Um, paying attention to how much talking time the women in your work meetings get and talking a little bit less to give them more time to speak, even if that means sitting in silence for what feels like an eternity but is probably only five or ten seconds. These are the things that will help women start to have an equal footing. It's not a matter of hiring women even if they're less qualified than men, so much as giving women the same opportunities for advancement that men have. And, in turn, giving men the same opportunities to care for their families that women have, right? Paternity leave should be as long as maternity leave. Maybe maternity leave should be two or three weeks longer because of the medical part of giving birth, but fathers should have ample time to bond with their children after birth. Um, and if you think about this small thing, if you are in the position of promoting someone and the most qualified candidate was a pregnant woman, it is the case that it would cross your mind that it would be tough to promote someone that you know is going to take a couple months off very soon. But if instead you were interviewing a man who had a pregnant wife, you might not be quite as concerned. That's the small shift that we need to make. There are many, many shifts we need to make. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, the politics of womanness or feminism or whatever word you want to use in that place are vast. There are a lot of layers to the onion and there are a lot of different factors that come into play in this podcast. I used the word woman, um, but 
what we didn't talk about was how all of these things are different and amplified and magnified for women of color or for transgender women um, or for any other variety of women that are not the most mainstream. So there's an unlimited number of things we could talk about on this topic, and I just want to make it clear that, of course, this issue is layered in terms of intersectionality of female identities, but on a general scale, these small shifts are things that we can think about. And you can sort of, in a way, extrapolate, extrapolate this idea to race um, and to other kind of topics. If you're saying things like, this is kind of a good example, black men will protect you. They're better protectors because they're stronger. Um, that's problematic because it perpetuates the idea that black men are violent and gets us to the point where like why do cops feel inherently unsafe when they pull over a black man and that's why we have these issues with police brutality that's like the way shortened version of of that very complex topic but these ideas of positive stereotypes that actually have a negative impact on those communities are easy to address. Um, we can't change overnight, but we can take time to think about our behavior and the way we talk about women and the way we think about these different sorts of things that, that are going on and how they're impacting every corner of our lives. Um, the expectation that women are nice through a series of actions leads to men feeling like they can tell women on the street to just smile. If you smiled more, you would look nicer. Um, great, but also maybe that woman's not set out with the goal of looking nice. So... These are the things that, that we're looking at and that we can change. Um, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has some pretty um, cool things she does that impact this. After a particular debate that she had during the primaries, a lot of people were asking what lipstick she was wearing, and she didn't kind of try to get away from it. She posted the exact brand and type of lipstick that she had been using so that other women could use that lipstick if they wanted to. I think that's really cool because it reminds us that femininity and strength are not mutually exclusive and that she can be an intelligent and well-educated and competent woman who also really likes makeup and likes to wear makeup and who's wearing it for herself and because it's something she wants and not because it's what men have asked of her. Um, so I think that's I think that's super cool. I think she's very cool. Um, I can't vote in New York, so my opinions on, like, would I vote for her based on her different political stances, I'm not going to make a statement about that, but 
just from the perspective of how she's running her campaign and how she's embracing what it means to be a young woman in a position where she could potentially be very powerful has been really cool. And whether or not she wins, I really do hope that we get more women, more women of color and more young women running because when people see people like them in positions of power, it gives them a level of confidence. Now, of course, we do also need women of all ages, but there are no young women in Congress right now. And I think that would be something that would be really cool for little girls to see and to see that this is totally possible. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is also Puerto Rican. Um, She came from the Bronx. So there's a lot of ways that if she were to get into that position, I think it would give little girls a lot of hope and a lot of um, the ability to just have someone to look up to who is kind of specifically like them. So we do need to do more of that. And we need to be encouraging little girls to look up to these women, even women like Taylor Swift, um, who maybe she's just, you know, a teeny bopper, but look at what she's made for herself. Uh, Your kid would be so lucky to have what Taylor Swift has had. And rather than tearing down these women in front of girls, building them up, even if they're not your number one, you know, favorite person. If if you don't necessarily feel like you love the types of things that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants, um, you can still speak about her in a respectful way in front of um in front of little girls and little boys and show that it's possible to respectfully disagree with someone who is a young woman, you know, and to speak about her and say, wow, she she's really smart and you know she has this economic background and from that she has this particular opinion but here's why i disagree with it that's the example that we need to be setting for kids so that they can grow up and they can respect women in that similar way because respecting women isn't a matter of talking in front of women one way and in the locker room another way Right, respecting women isn't sending out tweets where you're calling someone a horse face. It's not saying that, oh, women probably just couldn't handle the workload of being on the Judiciary Committee. That's that's not respectful. It's it's respectful to treat women the way that you would treat men. If you wouldn't say blank to a man, don't say it to a woman. So if you wouldn't tell your male co-workers to smile, don't say that to a woman. Also, just, it's weird. Don't say that. Um, yeah. So that's been it for this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, you can check us out on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, not at dinner podcast, as well as on our website, not at dinnerpodcast.com. We've got a couple of different book recommendations on the website right now um, that folks have asked for. So I've added a few more that you can check out. There are links to register to vote if you 
are still within the deadline in your state to do that. Um, and like I said during the break, very cool video from Jimmy Kimmel on the website. If you go to the website for only that reason, it's very cool. I've watched it multiple times. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.